You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off of your next order. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the pod on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get them. And you can follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mayo and Nada is on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. Usually, we try to figure out what we're going to talk about, and we were given a gift by the NBA as it pertains to (laughs) at least trying to figure out how we can relate it to the Charlotte Hornets. And Nate McMillan, about an hour before we started recording this, so an hour before, you know, just about an hour ago, Nate McMillan was fired by the Indiana Pacers in a crazy, surprising way because just two weeks ago, Nate McMillan was given a contract extension. And when we heard about Jeff Van Gundy and Zach Lowe on the Low Post podcast discuss that there had been rumors about firing Nate McMillan all season long, eventually the Pacers said, nope, that's not going to happen and gave him that contract extension. And then eventually he's gone after they get swept by the Miami Heat. A competitive series, you know, every single game was competitive. But the Indiana Pacers, you knew when it came down to it, they weren't going to win those games. No, they Jimmy weren't. Butler was too much. Bam Adebayo had his moments. Duncan Robinson had his moments. They couldn't stop Goran Dragic in a couple of those games. And so the Miami Heat, they would go on to win again in a sweep of the Indiana Pacers. And not as I mentioned, I think either yesterday or two days ago, it went about as 100% accurately as I could have depicted it, where the Heat were going to have close games against the Pacers, and I might have gone with a four or five game series, and it played out as exactly as expected. What is your reaction to Nate McMillan getting fired from the Indiana Pacers? Um, the first, the first one, my first reaction, I really can't say on this podcast. The second, anger or shock, both, honestly, because. You can't, and I think the shock was for me the the Pacers putting in the press release that Nate McMillan went three and sixteen in the playoffs with the Pacers, right. and, and without a shred of context. Like, see, guys, look at this record. This is why we fired him. He wasn't good in the playoffs, and it just like the fact that they fired him without a shred of context and just basically gave people enough bait despite not looking deeper at it. Like like you said, though, Walker, if you look at it in context, you had a Oladipo that wasn't quite right. You had a TJ Warren who, while he played well, we found out had plantar fasciitis, what, like two games before the playoffs started? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like We start looking at these things, and we start looking at it in context, and it's like, hey, guys, um, do you know you're actually firing a good coach? And, like, the stuff that's coming out that's leaking, or, like, because, again, I know Justin Termine of NBA Radio just leaked this out, I want to say, on Twitter about 20, 30 minutes ago before we recorded. But we're also talking about, yeah, they're going to fire Nate. Again, there are people telling him at the beginning of the season, yeah, we're going to fire Nate McMillan. We're going to go after D'Antoni. And they did this before the season started, before pandemic basketball started. All of this. If this rumor was there, then basically, like, that was a pity, like, that was a pity, okay, here's your money, go take it, and, like, we thank you for what you're doing, but we're going to move on, and at the, at the end of the day, it kind of, like, I don't know why I'm taking it so personal, but this one <laughs> feels like 
very, very personal to me today. I don't know why. Well, I mean, Nate McMillan, I have, I have some thoughts on this, right? Because yeah, you should. I am an Indiana Pacers fan as well as a Charlotte Hornets fan. I just, I grew up a Pacers fan along with the Hornets. I, I, pulled for both teams just because I have family that's based in Indiana. My earliest sports memory in which I was so embedded into the field, it was watching the Lakers and the Pacers in the NBA Finals in 2000. You know, so I, I, it's, it's just one of the first ones that I have. And so I watched a lot of Pacers basketball. It's interesting to see everybody's reaction to this because I think a lot of people are coming up with the context you are. Okay, he's got a 3-16 and 16 playoff record, but they've never been too healthy. Some of the wins that they were able to accumulate came against the Cleveland Cavaliers team that went to the NBA Finals, where it was led by maybe the greatest player ever in LeBron James. And the Cavaliers still almost got upset by the Indiana Pacers. Remember in that series, yes. LeBron mm-hmm. hit a buzzer beater and beat the Indiana Pacers. So you had that series to go off of as some success story, but it just hasn't bared well for them afterwards and the last couple of seasons as they get to the postseason you don't have Sabonis we know about the other injuries they have not been healthy Victor Oladipo essentially missing a year and a half I understand all of that yet why do I look at this and think yeah I understand it because I'm not shocked by Nate McMillan's firing because he was this fantastic coach what this came out of left field especially if we're getting reports about there have been rumors all season long yeah especially if there has been criticism from Pacers fans about Nate McMillan for the last couple of seasons but I, I just don't I, I I'm not shocked that way I'm shocked because Nate McMillan got the contract extension and it just seems like the timing it, they had led us astray yeah he's going to be here for a while nope two weeks later they're going to fire him I don't think he's the guy, Nada. And ultimately, if if you're not the guy and you want to move on, then I don't have a whole lot of criticism for the Indiana Pacers as far as moving on for a different coach because I don't think he is 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 a great head coach. I don't think he was great in the series despite some of the injuries that they had. The offense, it is archaic, even with the personnel that he's given with two big men. I, I get all of the things that were hard. I get all of that. I don't think Nate McMillan is this awful, awful coach. I just don't think he is the next guy to bring them a level up where I think the Pacers are ready to take finally that next step ever since they you know, kind of left that step with Paul George and company in that core. My, my, my counterpoint is, are we sure Mike D'Antoni is? Like, we have to, I think we kind of ignore that, and this is something that I kind of worry about. Like, we conflate Portland, Nate McMillan, which had some of the most ugliest basketball that we – ever saw Portland Nate McMillan had some archaic offenses Indiana Nate McMillan ran a lot more modern offenses granted there was a lot less free there's a there was like a little bit more freedom but not enough towards the modern game but at the same time I'm not sure with that cast of characters with Oladipo taking the leaps that we hadn't even seen in Oklahoma City for him to take like Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you're getting that kind of growth out of anybody else again anyone else coaching and more importantly I have questions on what is Mike D'Antoni going to do with Miles Turner what is he going to do with a guy like Demonis Sabonis you have a log jam with three guys over seven foot that and and we're seeing what he's doing in Houston it doesn't work here's the thing man (laughs) they don't have a Miles Turner in Houston Miles Turner can shoot the three ball and Agreed. not relinquish size like they have in Houston. Clint Capella ain't doing that. 
There's a reason they got rid of Clint Capella is because there's no spacing. Now, they also don't have a James Harden here in Indiana, but maybe Oladipo could be that guy where you're starting to have him handle the basketball and do some of the things. Look, James Harden is is crazy. I'm not saying Victor Oladipo is James Harden, but if you're trying to replicate what Mike D'Antoni is doing in Houston, it's certainly going to look differently, and you're not going to have DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner as these two bigs that are running that kind of Houston offense. But... Miles Turner does become pretty interesting to me because it is someone that is a good three-point shooter and you don't and you have a pretty good defender even with some of the problems I had with him in this Miami uh, Heat series. I do think Miles Turner is someone that actually would work pretty well in a Houston uh, Rockets offense because you, you're not P.J. Tucker. You're True. about six inches, seven inches taller Fair. than P.J. Tucker. And, and that makes it interesting to me. And not even just Mike D'Antoni. You know, I, I, maybe he's not the guy. Maybe it's somebody else. Not I just I look at this and I'm conflicted. I'm not telling you that I would have been angry if the Indiana Pacers kept on to Nate McMillan, mm-hmm. but I don't look at him and get so angry as to them moving on and deciding, you know what, he's not the head coach for the future of this Indiana Pacers team. Thanks for bringing us to the playoffs a few times, but it's been ho-hum. Even with a healthy roster, do you think Nate McMillan is the guy? Because even with a healthy roster, even with all the context erased, I, I still don't think he is the future head coach for them. I get, I get this, but I don't think you were going to get the quality of coach that people seem to think there is. I'm not sure there's that much of a difference. There's that much of a gap to where with that roster being the way it is, you could bring in the ghost of Red Auerbach, and I'm not sure you're getting past the second round with that team. Like that's the that's the conundrum that they face right now. It's a roster and a coaching situation. It's not one or the other. It's not let's fix the roster, we, which you only have one more year of Oladipo before he's a free agent. So at what point do we just think that? It's- so the Oladipo situation is interesting, yeah, because. Those guys like Nate McMillan, they and do. that's always a problem because usually I am so pro-player, get a head coach that your players like. Like Brett Brown, even though I defended Brett Brown a decent amount of times, clearly he didn't do a good job in the playoffs, and clearly the players were questioning um, what his strategy was, mm-hmm. not the, him holding some of the players accountable. I, I completely get that move. I don't think there's too many people that were advocating for Brett Brown to keep that job, even if they don't think he's 100% solely responsible. You know, for Indiana, the players did like Nate McMillan. They you know, did. And, and Victor Oladipo, does he like Nate McMillan enough to get pissed off that the Indiana Pacers fired him in order for him to leave? If you're Indiana, how much do you care because does Indiana, does Victor Oladipo, I should say, ever get back to the Oladipo that we saw as an all-NBA player because of this legitimate uh, explosiveness-crushing injury that he suffered? We Very were really true. scared about that quad injury that still he suffered. Still are, kind yeah, of. We don't, we, you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. We still are. And so now you've got the kind of small market problem that you're always afraid of. Do you have good enough pieces to even get you to the postseason, have a really nice team to actually get you to the second round and maybe even get your one appearance in the conference finals every now and then and have zero shot of actually getting to the NBA finals, have zero shot of winning an NBA championship, especially if Oladipo goes down from his all-NBA team. Those are some of the things that the Indiana Pacers have to ask themselves, and they decided Nate McMillan isn't the coach we'll see what they decide to do with the personnel. Yeah, I get why they wanted to experiment that way, but how many times have we seen this go down where 
they make a move to quote unquote appease a player, and then he ends up wanting to leave in the summer anyway. Yeah, well, and that's or the, the, by the trade deadline. Well, and, and if they want to keep Victor Oladipo, and yeah. I understand why they would, of course, if they want to, then maybe this is the smart decision to get Mike D'Antoni in here one year before he's going to leave contractually, and then maybe you get that year of rapport where, okay, it's not nearly as bad. Like, if you make this move when Victor Oladipo becomes a free agent right away, you might not be able to salvage what Victor Oladipo thinks because, oh, no, I'm pissed. I don't hear. I don't care what you have to say. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter. Here, you play with Mike D'Antoni. Maybe everything goes extremely well, and you decide to stay. You know, A couple of instances that come to mind is, one, Giannis with Mike Budenholzer. Yes. You know, loved Jason Kidd. I mean, Giannis loved Jason Kidd, and clearly they're better with Mike Budenholzer, even with the playoff struggles that Budenholzer has another thing is I, I forget about James Harden's first opinions on D'Antoni but clearly D'Antoni has unlocked uh, James Harden we never thought we'd see that that so and those are a couple of instances that come to mind that and you got to remember in the Harden situation they absolutely hated Kevin McHale like him Harden and Kevin McHale did not get so maybe I might be wrong I, I forget about what what James Harden thought uh, of Mike D'Antoni I just know we all were kind of questioning James Harden being a point guard and turns out that offense has been incredible it is incredible but and you know what like the crazy part to this whole thing is these are small market problems that yeah. at some point yeah. the Hornets are going to have to face and you know what why don't we Take this time, talk about our seg- uh, talk about our sponsors, and then we'll talk about it on the other side of the break. Well, how about we talk about our sponsors in the second segment? That's up next on the schedule. What I do want to talk about also in the second segment is, does James Borrego have an expiration date? That's the question that we have, because you're talking about coaches not holding on to their jobs long at all, unless you're Greg Popovich, and then even you go down the list. Then the next on the list, as far as who has had their current job the longest, you're talking about Rick Carlisle, Eric Spolstra, and then it's... Terry Stotts coming in as the fourth longest tenured coach with their current franchise. Pretty shocking to me. And then you continue to go down the list and see some shocking, like even Mike Malone being there five years, kind of nuts to see some of those guys on the list. Very much so. Does James Borrego have an expiration date where these coaches just can't do a whole lot about it? That's coming up next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Well, don't let, hold on. Don't let me end my take on that because that's not what I mean. I don't mean that he shouldn't nope, be in the NBA. No, that's what you meant, and no, it's disrespectful. I mean that. You're Anthony Tolliver. I'm Trevion Graham. That's who I love. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. So my grandpa was a basketball coach, mm-hmm. and it absolutely killed him anytime he would get fired. I imagine a lot like any head coach in any level of basketball. You know, he was a high school coach. He actually played for some legendary guys like Tony Hinkle and Branch McCracken all the mm. way, way back in the day. You want some 40s names. There are some 40s names for you, Doug. Oh, Branson. you're going to throw the you're throwing yes. the gauntlet down at Doug Branson. Yes, played at Butler and Indiana under Branch McCracken and Tony Hinkle, some legendary names. But my dad was talking about it and just saying, Grandpa could never understand the notion of coaching that you were hired to get fired. That's what it is. In it's coaching. that media that does that. It, it's it's that and the media, but you're always going to get let go, even if you do a good job. Like here we are. Clearly, Nate McMillan has done a good job with a small market. Indiana's yes, done a good job of personnel building as well, as far as getting you at least to a point that is certainly respectable. But also, you can look at a lot of these head coaches. Where Dwayne Casey is someone that comes to mind. Dwayne Casey is coach of the year yep. and gets fired. 
Nick Nurse becomes one of the best head coaches in the NBA, gets coach of the year himself with Toronto. Still, I was advocating for Dwayne Casey to keep his job. And you still even have questions about, clearly Nick Nurse is really, really good, but also there's a really good case to be made for Dwayne Casey winning a championship with Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard as well. Like people kind of leave that out when we talk about why Dwayne Casey was fired. So, you know, even Nick Nurse, you're not giving him up. That's just one anyway, right? The, The point is, Casey wins coach of the year. He gets fired. You look at these guys with the longest coaching tenures with their franchise. You know, you're getting to Mike Malone, who has five years under his belt with Denver, and you're still in the top 10. Yes. And Doc Rivers has been with the Clippers seven years. And even to that point, he wins a championship with Boston. And I know it gets ugly there, but that's still one of the reasons that these guys eventually leave the franchise or get fired. And you're talking about him being a good coach with Boston. So uh, James Borrego is the question that we have. Yes. James Borrego is the coach that is trying to get something off of the ground here in Charlotte. Yes. And maybe you would want to compare this to Brett Brown, but I think the difference is Brett Brown was the guy to endure inevitable pain. And and, and he and went, there's, I think there's a structural difference, too. Yes. No, that, terms, that's the point. Yeah. That's the point. The structural difference is we are here to suck, and we're here to get a lot of assets and hope to God that our picks pan out. Okay, cool. Yeah. James Borrego was here to develop talent and provide a structure, as you're suggesting, to where he is actually a part of the solution rather than having Brett Brown just kind of wait it out and then see if he can be the guy once the stars hit. So that's a little bit different here. Yes. But we could see once the Charlotte Hornets are ready to take that next step, can Borrego adapt from being here to provide the structure and also lasting to the second phase of getting into the playoffs and then lasting to the next phase of actually contending in the playoffs, it's really hard for these coaches to make that transition and stick it out for a really long time. It's funny you mention that because you know the guy that I thought of just now while we were talking about this? Think about a guy like Kenny Atkinson, like mm-hmm. a guy that developed a Spencer Dinwiddie, that developed a Kyrus Levert. You're talking about a guy that developed D'Angelo Russell because D'Angelo Russell looked like a bust before Kenny Atkinson got his hands on him. He got, again, Kenny Atkinson squeezed the last little juice out of Jeremy Lin before that horrific knee injury. So when we start talking about guys that build cultures, we also notice that they don't last. Mm -hmm. And there is a difference in transition. Like, okay, you're going to build these guys up. You're going to get them to be pros. There is a skill set for that. There is a job for that. If you are a coach that does that, there will always be a job for you. But there's always going to be that guy. And again, when it's winning time, those guys don't necessarily make the transition. And you know what? We might have to be okay with that. And that's where I'm kind of, again, where I'm kind of like you're talking me into this to where, yes, there is a shelf life to guys like Borrego. I don't want there to be because I think the culture that he's building, again, Cliff couldn't even do that. Well, what you're doing now is, uh, even if I say all of that, I did provide a lot of evidence to suggest that I'm going the other way and saying that James Borrego, or that I'm going this way that James Borrego does have an expiration date, Mm -hmm. but I'm actually not with Borrego, nada. I don't know if it's biased. I think Borrego's different. Well, here's the reason I think it's different. Because one, he is a part of this structure and developing all of this talent. And I also think James Borrego is someone that does hold players accountable, unlike what Brett Brown did. 
you know, he didn't appease to the veterans on this team. This is also true. Yeah. He didn't. It's it's somebody that is 100% honest with you, and the players respected that. Mm -hmm. He also gets the most out of these young guys who seem to really enjoy playing for James Borrego. I also think this is a guy whose personality does mesh with stars. I think this is someone who has that kind of attitude of holding guys accountable and not being somebody like maybe a Brett Brown where he's afraid to tell anybody certain things. Or, or and, and maybe when he does, you know, the Jimmy Butler thing just doesn't go well. I think yep. Borrego is a, is a dude that's likable from these players, whether you're young or you're old, and he's providing the structure. I wonder if James Borrego is something to buck that kind of trend. And it seems right now, too, another important, another important piece of these coaches keeping their job is, of course, the relationship that they have with the front office. And it seems right now that, it, again, we're two years in. We're, it's yeah, exactly. so early. And so we're... We're, we're officially to, in year... Like, year one of the rebuild is officially over. So we're trying to project way far out. Because mm-hmm. I don't think the Hornets are going to make the playoffs next season. We could have a down year, sure. But I do think, as far as now goes, what I've seen from his personality... I've seen the Hornets take the right kind of shots. It is a Mm -hmm. modern way of thinking the way that they play their offense, yet still he wants to hone in on the defense. I think these are all good things. And he's got a really good relationship with a Mitch Kupchak, who, according to Rick Pinnell, and from what we've seen with our own eyes, has full authority over everything in a way that Rich Cho didn't, and that's what we had become accustomed to the previous decade. And one other thing that I think we also have to realize is that And it's something that I remember Rick talking about on this podcast a lot. I remember this year Marvin going to Borrego and saying, look, you're just going to have to be brutally honest, and you're just going to have to realize you're not going to please everybody. And I just remember that we'd still have to remember that Borrego is still learning on the job in 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 sorts of, okay, how do I best develop these guys, and how do I best... Get the, how do I get the most out of them? So when we start talking about that, he's still learning on the job. We do not know the finished product. I, and, and again, when we say we don't know the finished product of James Borrego, I'm not sure we're going to ever figure that out until it's time to start winning this team. It's time sure. to start making the playoffs instead of development being the only thing. Sure. And and I think a devil's advocate argument to saying, well, you know, the, the veterans were really good. The locker room has always been a really good locker room with Charlotte. So it's easy for a guy like Borrego to appease to some of these veterans. I think that's absolutely a good point to bring up because Marvin Williams is one of the best dudes in the NBA. Nobody has a bad thing to say about him. Nick Batum is someone that is despite what you might think of him on the court, off of the court, it's not anybody that's going to ruffle any feathers. And he's going to be the quiet guy. Yeah. He's going to be the old head that quietly pulls your coat and tells you, hey, young blood, you do this instead. Well, And, and he'll do it in a really cool French accent, too. <laughs> so the veterans that he's dealt with were pretty easy to manage and pretty easy to get along with. But Terry Rozier didn't have that track record in Boston. And maybe you want to chop it up to him just growing another year older and becoming a veteran in this league. Or maybe you want to chop it up to James Borrego just being up front with him. Terry Rozier talked about this in his exit interview. How it was really tough for him, but we didn't hear a peep from Terry Rozier. James Borrego was really open with him. Mm-hmm. And a guy that had had problems in Boston, even with a guy like Brad Stevens, who everybody apparently but Kyrie Irving loved, right? Yep. So even with a guy like Brad Stevens, Terry Rozier was out here and being a little moody and you know we had all of that kind of reputation for him that didn't play out this season and nope. so Borrego has a veteran where it's gone wrong with other franchises it actually went right here despite 
him massively going through a different role. And so I don't want to take anything away from Rogier by giving Borrego all the credit, but I think we can also recognize... No, okay, they can split take, some credit. Yeah, yeah. I think it. I think we can recognize that, okay, because of Borrego's coaching tactics, it actually worked out between him and a guy that it had not worked out with before as far as the locker room goes. I mean, like, like I said, he's learning on the job and he's learning on the fly how to develop. And like the finished product is what I can't wait to see. Like when it's time to start winning, when the onus is on making the playoffs, and that may be two years away. But thus far, with the results that we've gotten, it's been kind of awesome, quite honestly. And I can't wait to see what happens next. Same. Uh, it's going to be extremely fascinating to see what happens next. Uh, I want to now talk to you about the sponsors here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, and we want to thank Built Bar for supporting the show. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy, also somebody that just wants a good-tasting energy bar. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for even a keto diet. They have a flavor profile of peanut butter, coconut almond, cherry barcia, and cookies and cream. All so many good different flavors. Free cooler with your purchase as well while supplies last if you go to BuiltBar.com. Again, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off of your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You can capitalize it. Uh, go all one word, locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. Go get that cherry Barcia. <laughs> Seriously. Go get the cherry Barcia. Uh, one more segment to go, and we're going to discuss another way that the Hornets actually get to the promised land that we've been discussing. It's next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. But what he showed in Summer League, comma, a Euro step into a windmill during a game end of comma oh, could yeah. put him on the radar of a uh, radar, excuse <laughs> me, radar of all NBA yeah on the radar on the radar of <laughs> all NBA fans as a nightly highlight producer yeah you're Charlotte you're Charlotte coming out there yeah I'm from come from uh, Catawba County put so, him on the radar it's time for more of the locked on Hornets podcast Heavy in the coaching discussion, we've talked about Borrego quite a bit, of course, and whether he can be that guy that transitioned from one phase to another. If the Hornets even ever get there, how long is the leash of James Borrego if they don't reach expectations or have a down year next season? Because maybe they overachieved yes. this season, and that won't happen next season. I, I, next season, we'll find out exactly what kind of heat is breathing down James Borrego's neck. But another way to get to... Just even getting to that phase in general, Nada, it's all about the players. It's all about how good your players are. And when we had expectations for the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz heading into the season, I think a lot of that was predicated on if Jamal Murray was going to play into the (laughs) level of that contract that they gave him that was monstrous. And if Donovan Mitchell could reach a superstar level, because you've brought this up a million times and you brought it up on yesterday's podcast. Rudy Gobert, you could have argued that he was the best player on that team. Mm-hmm. And Nikola Jokic certainly, and, and still is, the best player on that Denver Nuggets team. But could you get these perimeter stars to play like legitimate mainstay all-stars or even get to that superstar all-NBA type of play? Yes. And once they did that, then how much more seriously do you take them as contenders? Because to me, I think the answer is absolutely you start to take them as serious contenders now. I'm with you on the whole, I'm really scared if my best player on a team is a big man. I'm totally (laughs) with you on that. But Donovan Mitchell, we've talked about him enough. 
The guy has been insane in this postseason. Yeah. And you know what he's done is he's overshadowed Jamal Murray's performances because the Jazz went to a 3-1 lead. And even in that game one where it took overtime for the Nuggets to beat the Utah Jazz, it was Donovan giving us 57 points and being just a flamethrower out there. But Jamal Murray has given us to me, not a the last couple of games or so, maybe the most impressive stretch of basketball that we've seen in the bubble, and that includes guys like Damian Lillard and TJ Warren. The stats for Jamal Murray and what he's doing right mm-hmm. now are bananas. Yes, they are. 50 points in that loss that you just had a game ago. Yesterday, he gave you over 40. And that's and, and that most of that's in the second half. That yeah, was the crazy part. The most... Not of that stretch was insane. He didn't miss a shot. He gave you a 360 layup with the wrong hand, which was just dumb. Over Rudy Gobert. Yeah, yeah over the best defensive center in the league. Then you have a guy like, uh, then, then you have him hitting three-point shots that rattle in and touch all parts of the rim, but eventually it goes in. He hits another three. He hits these really tough mid-range jumpers. There's one play where he gets the rebound. And then there's three seconds on the shot clock, but he thinks it might reset. He looks at the shot clock all the way at the other end, turns around, and just drains it, and he doesn't miss. And he's not somebody that's turning over the basketball. Like that, that fourth quarter against Utah was maybe the most impressive quarter of basketball that I've seen in the bubble. These guys have developed into stars, and I think the point to bring home is Hornets don't have that guy, in my opinion, on the roster. Not yet. And not yet. Not yet. And that's what the third pick could be. But but what we're saying is also, we've seen those guys develop quite a long way. Man, where do you get with a guy like Devontae? Where do you eventually get with a guy like P.J. Washington? Where do you eventually get with a third overall selection in the 2020 NBA draft? It's funny because I think depending on like what you believe in, depending on what you believe in in terms of your development staff, you can get a Jamal Murray. I don't know if that's going to be an Anthony Edwards. I don't know if that's going to be a LaMelo Ball. It could be even a Tyrese Halliburton, depending on how you want to look at it. But the funniest part about all the stats in back-to-back games, I saw this, and uh, shout out to Andy Glockner, former SI editor. He pointed this out. In back-to-back games, 92 points, 19 rebounds, 15 assists with zero turnovers. It's insane. It's ben- it's berserk. Yeah. It is absolutely absurd with no turnovers. And you're talking about the guy was probably at best. If we're talking about playoff bubble performers, he's what? Behind, eight, again, he's probably behind Donovan Mitchell and Luka. That's it. Yeah, That's certainly the in the list. postseason. Certainly in the postseason. Postseason bubble? He's only behind Luka and literally he's only behind those two. Oh yeah. It was it was it was insane watching him go off in the fourth quarter like that. And I think that's what we were all kind of waiting for with with Denver because we didn't even take Denver seriously last year, right? Like when they were in the postseason, even as that high regular season seed, it took them a seven-game series to get past the San Antonio Spurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget how many games it went against Portland, but eventually C.J. McCollum, I remember, hits that pull-up because jumper. Because quite honestly, I think we stopped taking them seriously once they lost to Portland. And I, at least I know I did. Well, I thought they were going to beat Portland and then they were going to go and get housed by that Golden State team. Well, and I think that's kind of the point. I don't, I mean, even going into the Spurs series, people had the Spurs upsetting the Denver Nuggets. Like here they have all of these regular season wins, but you just look at that roster and you think, okay, who's the perimeter star that can take you to the next level? Ah, Jamal Murray ain't it yet. You know, even yeah. with Utah, I, I even with Utah, we were having this conversation about man. If if Donovan goes to a different level, then okay. But right now, Utah just ain't it for me. Right now, agreed. 
And they've both reached a different level to the point where maybe they are scary against some of these other teams, like the Clippers, like the Los Angeles Lakers, who are starting to take care of business more against the Trailblazers. And shout out Paul George for putting all of the bad blood, um, all the bad performances, I should say, behind <laughs> him. Um, the bad blood still probably there, still angry. Very much so. And Paul George was incredible. And so, you know, that that's the interesting thing about the Hornets, too. It's can you get that guy at the third overall selection? And it's huge. And it's why there's going to be so many expectations surrounding Mitch Kupchak, because even with the context that we have about this NBA draft now, we're not going to give him the benefit of the doubt with that context as we go forward. If we look at this in 2025 and this third overall pick is a bust, we're going to clown him and say that this third overall pick was a bust, not going back all the way here to this moment and saying, but. Uh, the draft is really, really hard. It's not even that though. Like if the if this pick is a bust in 2025, I can guarantee you Mitch will not be here. I can almost guarantee that. Because you're talking about a guy that's probably going to be when we start talking about the rebuild, he's the probably he's the crux. It's not Devontae, it's not PJ. Those are ancillary parts. The rebuild starts with the guy you're going to draft at three, especially when you're starting throwing throwing around quotes like you can get a special player at three. Like the rebuild starts now. Mm-hmm. The pieces that you need start here. So if you like you can't miss. You can't miss. You need that develop development staff to work. Like this has to work. This is one of those things like your job is on the line if you miss this. It's interesting to see the kind of blueprint says we'll, we'll hold on real quickly before we end the episode. It's interesting to see the blueprints because when we talk about what's the team to compare the Hornets to, people bring up the Toronto Raptors all the time. People bring mm-hmm. up the Miami Heat all the time, mm-hmm. as much as it might pain them to do so. You know, maybe the Denver Nuggets, maybe the Utah Jazz, or a couple of teams who also bring up some of the teams that didn't bring in the free agents and then eventually get there by being a big market and signing these big guys and then eventually attracting other stars like that. You know, Utah did it through the draft. You know, Denver did it through the draft, taking these chances on high upside guys that might pan out, and you might have that with Porter Jr., and then you get Nikola Jokic way into the second round and so here they are you know Miami Toronto we know about these blueprints even Indiana you know yeah. Indiana they, they drafted their Paul George were able to flip him for some other really nice pieces even if they got destroyed for the trade at the time and now you're now you're dealt with some options to work with it, yes. it's, it's gonna have to be you know one of those homegrown things such as the problems that come with being a small market again it's franchise goals hashtag franchise goals <laughs> like you, this again you have a whole bunch of franchise goals if you're the Hornets in this playoff series. Again, like you said, Utah, Denver. Utah and Denver have been developing for years right now. San Antonio obviously is the blueprint out of that. Indiana, Miami, like all of these Hashtag well, and Miami's not small market, so I don't want to get it too crazy twisted, right? That right, it but, is, but, 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 it but you see the blueprint yeah. of the, but you see the blueprint of the of the way that they were able to build that team. The player development has been great, and that allowed them, along with it being Miami, so it's not 100 percent comparable. I get it, but it did allow them to get a Jimmy Butler, right? I mean, that, yeah, exactly. that was an attractive enough destination besides the beach. That was a good enough roster for them to actually prevail this season. So I'm going to put this in in terms that maybe you and maybe five other people will understand. Okay. In terms of small market franchise building, San Antonio is Rakim. And then yeah. everybody, like Q-Tip, that's Miami. Everybody, why is Q-Tip Miami? Are these the OGs is what yeah, you're saying? We, again, that's what I'm saying. The blueprint, everything, again, it's Rakim. San Antonio is Rakim. Mm-hmm. 
he birthed everything else after that in terms of development. Or it could go back to another conversation that we had is, is Dilla San Antonio. And then all these other producers are some of these other teams that have had, uh, success after San Antonio did just end the damn show is Kanye Miami just end the show end the show Walker up this edition of Lockdown Hornets thanks again to Bill Bar for supporting the show now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Lockdown NBA have a great day we're going to try to get Doug Branson on the show in the next couple of days we'll see you tomorrow